text tonight will be Genesis 3, verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? This is the holy place that we are privileged to be in tonight. We're thankful God can meet us anywhere, uh, but we are thankful for this holy place. It's a sacred meeting place. We don't worship the building, we worship God, but it's a dedicated building unto God where many have had an encounter, a real encounter with the living God. Many of us can point to a place or places throughout this tabernacle where God has met with us, where we have had a special encounter with Him on our knees and prayer through a song, through a meeting. What we have here in our text an encounter between God and man. And this encounter is initiated by God himself after perhaps the most tragic event in, in all of human history, the fall of man. This is a sobering and convicting encounter. It's a dreadful encounter. But this is also a merciful encounter, a loving encounter a gracious encounter with God. I suppose on the surface, uh, some may perhaps look at or think of the first human couple's uh, disobedience or defiant act, partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was forbidden by God. The only limit, the only restriction that God put on humankind, on Adam and Eve, was to not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And perhaps some may look at that story and consider, and we can gloss over as a very neat Sunday school story uh, and not really realize the severity of what happened that day. It was a tragic day. It was a dark day for human history, for, for the world really. It was heartbreaking to God. It was destructive. And that's because all evil actions, all evil thoughts, deception, perversion, immorality, bitterness, hatred, maltreatment, heinous acts of violence, every broken life, every broken home, every broken marriage can be traced back to this event. So the fall man is the event, it's a historic event. It's not an allegorical story. It's a historical event. When Adam and Eve, uh, Eve's disobedience, introduced sin into the world, and by turning away from God, turning their back on God, they also plunged all of their descendants into a degrade or, or, or a corrupt condition. We read chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis. We, we read of the beauty of creation. And when God was finished creating this world, he said it was very good. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Nothing evil, nothing corrupt about it. But then in chapter 3, we read 
when uh, the beauty of creation was marred by, by disobedience, by defiance, by guilt, by punishment, by physical and spiritual death. And here in this chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis, we read how Satan, in the form of a serpent, came and deceived Eve to partake of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she in turn turned the best uh, uh, the fruit to Adam, and he also disobeyed God. And this brought immediate separation between them and God. Their state of innocence was uh, suddenly changed to guilt. Uh, from that state of holiness, they experienced immediate separation from God. And not only that, but all their descendants are born with the same corrupt condition. It's good to remember that Adam and Eve were created in the moral image of God. In, in the likeness of God, uh, with a righteous and holy nature. They were created with pure motives, with an inclination towards pure thoughts only, inclination towards doing good, uh, pure actions, pure holy behavior. Their moral nature was one that produced love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. It was spontaneous. The law of God was written on their hearts. And they had a bias towards holiness. But they did have, uh, because God created us in his likeness, they did have the ability to reason, the power of choice, the free, the, the free will. And they chose when they were tempted, they chose, they yielded. They, they made a choice and they yielded to that temptation and committed the first sin. They chose. Sin is a choice. They chose to defy God, the law of God. They chose to separate God, themselves from God and His will. Sin is a deliberate act of defiance, is making an informed decision. When we commit, when an individual commits sin, they know they're doing so. It is breaking God's law knowing that it will separate one from God. It, this original sin was an act of the free will. The devil did not make them do this. They were intelligent beings and they acted fully aware of their decision and the consequences. They knew full well that they would be separating themselves from God. So, we're reminded we have an enemy. There is a spiritual battle that we are engaged in, and the enemy is relentless, that he's the tempter, and he will do all he can to entice, to tempt, to, to ultimately bring man to his destruction. Basically, by their actions, Adam and Eve said to God, we don't want to live by your rule. We want to live independent of you. We want to decide what's good and evil for ourselves. Their act of defiance or self-will corrupted their character. And as I mentioned, they have some, uh, they, that corrupt nature, we refer 
it has a damnic nature. We inherit every human being born into this world is born with that damnic nature that comes from Adam and inherited from Adam. The Bible teaches something good, uh, different than the, the culture today. There is a trend in our world, perhaps with some, that teach that, that humanity is good, actually inherently good. And um, that it, the problem is with society. And if, if you want to fix, and it's society that corrupts man. And, and the idea is that if you fix society, you'll, feel, you'll fix human beings. But the Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible teaches that if you fix the human being, the human heart, then you'll fix society. And that is, that corrupt nature can be restored to the moral image of God. And that is through salvation, uh, experiencing forgiveness of our sins, and then cleansing or sanctification. That uh, restoration can only happen through a divine act or through divine intervention. It is through the shed blood of Jesus. Fallen man left himself will only corrupt himself more and more. And without divine intervention, without a cure or remedy for sin, man would be utterly wicked and eternally lost. And we see, we don't have to read very far in the Bible, but also we see it evidence throughout uh, the pre our present world uh, that that. First of all, the gravity of sin, we see it that instantly they were, Adam and Eve were separated. The, the fellowship between them and God was broken. Instantly they experienced shame, fear, guilt, and separation. They, their nature was changed from innocent to guilty. From joy and peace, they had shame and guilt. They died spiritually that day, and physical death would soon follow. It wasn't long. In fact, it's in the, the next chapter, their own children murdered, one of their own children murdered his own brother. And then by chapter 6, we see that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. So that's the bad, or the, the problem. And it's a horrible problem. And I could just imagine, I believe, based on what we read through Scripture, God's heart must have been broken to watch Adam and Eve commit that first sin. The capstone of this creation, his own children turned their back on him. They had rejected God, his love, and ultimately they were rejecting, they had rejected eternal life. And God could have left them in this condition, in this uh, situation, to suffer the consequences of their own defiance. It was their own disobedience that brought sin to the world and caused them to be set eternally. Without God's intervention, they would have been eternally separated from Him. Without God, they would have been helpless and hopeless. But now we look at this encounter that was dreadful. It was also a loving encounter with the Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father came to them. He came looking for them in the garden. And He showed them love, mercy, grace, 
yourselves from the presence of the Lord, we read. And that brings us to our text. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, Where art thou? Where are you, Adam? God asked a question that God already had the answer to. He asked this question to help Adam consider his own spiritual location. Where are you, Adam? Or to help him consider uh, his own spiritual condition. Where are you spiritually, Adam? Adam, I know where you are, but do you realize where you are? Adam, where are you? You're not where you used to be. In a sense, God was introducing Adam to Adam. He was introducing Adam to himself, that he would recognize his sin. And by God's grace, he was leading him to the place where Adam would confess his sin. Well, this was a sobering encounter. It was a humbling encounter. Yes, it was a convicting encounter with God. Verse 10, we, we read that Adam responded, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You know, there's nothing casual or flippant about being in the presence of God. We know that. They were guilty, and they knew it, and they hid themselves. They found themselves in an ashamed condition, and they hid themselves. You know what's, what strikes me more as I read over this text is that their own actions produce guilt and shame. It wasn't God that caused them to be ashamed. They were already ashamed and tried to find a remedy for themselves. This was a, a sobering encounter and it was a necessary encounter. The Bible teaches that one of these days we will all have a day of reckoning uh, where every human being will stand before the uh, living God at the great, throne, uh, great white throne judgment. But before the judgment day, God in his mercy will come to every individual. The Bible tells us that he aligns every man that comes into the world. And he will come to every one of us and gently, lovingly, kindly ask us, where art thou? Like he asked Adam. Or later he asked Eve. What is this that thou hast done? He asked, in the next chapter, he asked Cain, What hast thou done? Jesus, when he appeared to Saul Tarsus, he asked him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? God will send the Holy Spirit to each individual and come uh, by his grace. Well, send the Holy Spirit like God sent the prophet Nathan to King David to confront King David of his sin with Bathsheba. God will send the Holy Spirit to convict, convince an individual of, and, and expose the individual's sins. The Bible tells us, this is called, by the way, Holy Ghost conviction. We're very familiar with that around here. Thank God for Holy Ghost conviction. The Bible tells us that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is His grace. He didn't have to come down to Adam and Eve. He doesn't have to come to us, but He does. 
God, he comes often. And he's merciful and patient and kind and, 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 and persistent. Sometimes he comes with, a, with that still small voice and whispers it to, to our soul, and that's sufficient. Other times he comes by his grace through circumstances. And he might allow circumstances to strip away perhaps things in our lives that we were dependent on and, or, or things that uh, we placed our trust in, and, and faith in other than God. And, and by his grace, we'll, he'll strip things away out of our lives to help us get to a point where we realize we are bankrupt without him. It is his goodness, his grace that leads us to this point where we can call out for mercy. So this was a merciful and loving and gracious encounter. He could have left them alone in their rebellion, but the goodness and compassion of God moved them to come looking for them. He looked on them with eyes of compassion, and he spoke with gentle words of love. However, if we read the text, we see that there, there were consequences their actions, but along with the consequences, God extended mercy and provided a way for them to be spared and redeemed. They had tried to hide behind fig leaves, fig leaves which was a self-made remedy, but God clothed them with skins, uh, demonstrating that their shame and guilt uh, could not be covered with anything other than with the shedding of innocent blood, obviously pointing to Jesus Christ. God began to unveil the plan of salvation for humanity by killing those innocent animals to clothe Adam and Eve. Those animals did nothing wrong. They were innocent. And God killed them to clothe Adam and Eve. Jesus did nothing wrong. He was sinless, but he took on our sin that we might be forgiven and saved and cleansed. That carnal nature that we are born with can be uh, eradicated, purged through the blood of Jesus. God promised deliverance from Satan and sin through the seed of the woman. We read in, uh, in verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God would destroy Satan and sin, but it would come at the price or at the cost of the shed blood of the seed of the woman, which was Jesus. We see a sign of mercy also in the, and hope by Adam naming his wife Eve. Eve means life giver. And we see that uh, through God's mercy, they were allowed to continue to live even though they were under a sentence of death. So tonight, this is the question that perhaps God is asking us, asking someone tonight, where art thou? I certainly don't know if anybody here is not saved or watching online. 
maybe you are saved, and maybe God is still asking, where are you today? Where are you spiritually? Adam, you're not where you used to be. So what if someone tonight who needs to be saved responded like King David when he was confronted with his sin? Instead of responding like Adam and Eve responded, they began to blame one another, or uh, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed uh, the serpent. What if someone that needs to be saved and is, of the, and, and is under Holy Ghost conviction tonight responds like David? And we read about that in Psalm 51 when he cries out for mercy and saying, Lord, it's me. I'm guilty. I've sinned. I've rejected you and your holy will. I've walked away. Sin is walking away from God. And Lord, I am so sorry. That's a prayer to pray. Turn me to you. And I'm turning to you. I'm repenting and I'm turning to you. Save me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Cast not away and cast me not away from your presence. Blot out my transgressions. Forgive me. Erase my, my sins. And he, by the blood of Jesus, will forgive you and save you and purge you. Or tonight, if you are saved, maybe God is posing that question to you. Where are you? Maybe somehow you've drifted a little bit from where you once were spiritually. And it's appropriate to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've allowed other things to distract me or discourage me. I'm sorry, Lord, I'm not where I used to be. Bring me back. I'm coming back. I've been neglectful or I've lost my focus. Refocus me. Help me. Renew me, revive me. And this is a special place just for a time like this when we could pray these kind of prayers. Because God is here. He's promised to be here. He's here. He's uh, reaching out in His love, mercy, and gently asking. And put your name there instead of Adam. But He's asking Adam. 